as, as y'all are returning to your seats, one of the things that we recognize at Hope is that God has, God has granted us um, the privilege of ministering to children. And uh, one of the prayers Denise and I had before we even planted Hope Church was, God, we, we want to reach all generations, but we want to impact this young generation uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and in doing that, it takes a lot of us involved, doesn't it? And I always encourage you guys, if, if you have a heart and you desire to, to be blessed and to minister to someone, listen, get engaged in our children's ministry. We need some folks that are just going to come in and love on some kids and bless them. Because when you do, listen, I, I never will forget, years, not, not that many years ago, I, I received an email, and it was from my Sunday school teacher. And I know we don't have Sunday school in these days, and we call it different things, but this is my Sunday school teacher. And she just wanted to remind me that when I was a little guy, that she invested in my life, and I accepted Christ as Savior. And church, there is no greater thrill to know that you've impacted a life of a child. So get engaged in our ministries. God will bless you for that. Well, listen, let's get into God's Word today and uh, open your Bibles to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to, where we're going to find ourselves this morning on this Palm Sunday. What, what a great celebration time, right? A time that uh, in the Bible we read that Jesus was uh, approaching uh, the cross. A time when we see that the very hope of, of Israel and the hope of us was, was about to take place. And that was the Messiah going to the cross to die for our sins. And next Sunday, we're going to celebrate Easter. We're going to celebrate it well as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But on that day, on Palm Sunday, just as it is many times today, people were still confused as to what it really meant to follow Jesus, what he was about, what he was doing. Because if you remember, the Israelites at the time, and even those closest to him, thought that him coming into his own meant that he was going to come and rule and reign as a, as a authority, as a leader in their day, and basically kick out the Romans and, and reestablish Jerusalem. But he came for a higher purpose, and that was that his life would be sacrificed for our sins, and that we'd have life and life abundantly. And this morning what we're talking about is how we follow him, how we follow him as he goes toward the cross and, and what difference it makes when we live our lives wholly committed and dedicated to the Lord. You know, I meet believers in, all around the world and in these settings and, and I always marvel at how I, I meet some people and they're so full of joy and they're so full of peace and it just, it just resonates. You know what I'm talking about? You, you run into somebody at the mall or restaurant or or another place you just kind of go i don't even have to ask them i know they're a believer i know they are a follower of jesus christ you just see it in their spirit and then and then we wonder what what the difference is in their lives what makes them that way and i'm convinced it's very simple folks i'm convinced that the joy of the lord the abundant life that christ died to give us is found when we receive his gift of salvation freely. We accept it, and we bring it into our lives, his love, his grace, and his mercy. And we make a decision. And that decision is that we are going to make him Lord of all. We are going to unreservedly commit our lives to following him. So this morning, I want to encourage you to open your heart. Let these words bring a challenge to us today, but also let them bring a comfort that God gives us all we need. If we will follow him. So would you just pray with me right now? Father, in the name of Jesus, God, what a, what a day we've already had, God. What a, what a beautiful morning, God, of worship and, and enjoying seeing a young lady, God, use her gifts to worship the Lord and a, and a young man dedicated, Father, to you. And Father, we just, we just feel like we've been hugged by you this morning, God. And Father, we want to celebrate that. And now, Lord, as we go into your word, God, help us. 
God, help us to see what you would speak to our lives, oh God. And give us wisdom and, 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 and witness today, God, that our lives will be changed, God. And Father, we will be your witnesses wherever we go because of Christ in us. Help us, Lord, to follow. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, we, we live in a world today that really doesn't understand following very well. We're pretty independent, aren't we? Especially in our country. It's kind of the way we're wired, right? We want to do it our way and only our way. And that's just kind of how we are. Yesterday and, and the day before, Denise and I were in High Point, North Carolina. We were, we were interviewing church planters. We, I lead an assessment team for the Assemblies of God where we, where we help young couples, and, and not always young couples, but folks who believe God wants them to start a church, help them assess their, their gifts and help them assess and discern whether it is God's will for them to plant a church. And, and we were laughing because we had a, an older gentleman, uh, older than I am, who was going to plant a church in Raleigh, and he was going to plant a church among the Indian community in Raleigh, and, and he and I have known each other for a while. He's a great man. We have a lot of fun together, and uh, we, uh, one of the things we realize about him is, is that he's going to do things his way whether we tell him to do them differently or not. Can I, can, can I get a witness on that? He's at a certain age that, you know, what do you say to him, you know? He's standing up, and we're asking him questions. He says, well, when I was imprisoned in Saudi Arabia for six months for preaching the gospel, I kept my focus on the resurrection of Christ. And we're like, what are we doing here? You know, plant a church, dude. If God's called, you go plant the church. But we did a little test with him. We said, well, would you give us a five-minute devotional? Just five minutes. He couldn't even introduce himself in five minutes. It took him like 20 minutes to give a five-minute devotional. And when we finally cut him off, we're like, sir, we said five minutes. He goes, you know what five minutes means to a preacher in India? I said, I know that answer, nothing. I said, but you know what it means to a pastor in America? It means five minutes, buddy, get it done, right? You know, we're independent. We like to just do what we know to do. And we struggle with that thought of following. You know, it's kind of that social media culture we have. You know, I'll follow you until you say something I don't like. That's what I like about Twitter. And then I can just click a button and say, I unfollow you. And there's no, no worries. I mean, there was no commitment. There was no emotion. It was just like, I'll follow you today, but tomorrow, you know what? You may tick me off, and I'm not going to follow you anymore. But Jesus had a different approach to following. In fact, we will see in the Scripture today, just as we did last week, that as he approached the cross, as he turned his face to Jerusalem, we read about encounters where people came to him and said, I want to follow you. And in our, in our culture, we would think that all Jesus would say would say is, welcome. Well, come on. Let, let's go. But we're going to read about situations where instead of saying welcome, he actually challenged them. Instead of you're going to follow him, you need to understand some things. You need to know what really following means when you come to following the Lord. Now, this morning when we read this passage, it's one of those passages of Scripture that if we're not careful, we can see, we can see someone else being spoken to, but certainly not ourselves. Have you ever, ever done that? You read the word and say, oh, my sister-in-law needs to read this, right? Or, or you hear a sermon like, oh, I wish so-and-so was here because, man, they really needed to hear this. Can I tell you something? The word of God was written for all of us, and it speaks to all of us in every situation. So this morning when we start reading this, please don't check out because one of the things we find is, is that very few of us consider ourselves to be rich. In fact, uh, when we, we can look at, a, at each other and say, you know what, I got a lot of problems, and God knows them all, but one problem I don't have is riches, okay? That, that probably is more common to most of us. But, but, you know, in fact, I have some friends that are, that are very, very, very wealthy, but even the very, very wealthy have a hard time seeing themselves as rich because that's always somebody else, right? God's talking to them. He can't be talking to us. 
But this morning, as we read this story, I will tell you, he is speaking directly into our lives. Pick it up in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be, be reading, okay? And here's, here's what he's talking about. He, he's talking to a young man, and he, 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 he gives him this direction that says, if you're going to follow me, some things are going to be required. And if you're not able to do these things that are required, he goes, then, then don't pretend to follow me. If you're going to follow me, it's, there's some things that got to change in your life, but, but, but understand you've got to be all in because if you're not all in, you're not even able to do these things. And, and honestly, as we read this, I'll be, I'll be straight up, it really troubles my spirit because we like this all-inclusive like, hey, just, just love Jesus and, and you're good, don't worry about anything else. And yet the, the call of Jesus to follow him says, yes, you received my grace through love and now I'm going to show you how to enter that abundant life and that joyful life, but there are some demands that come with that. So pick it up and as we read this together in Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. It says, a man ran up and knelt before him, Jesus, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, now, just for a moment, pull, in, pull out of the story and, and look at the situation here, all right? It, it, it's, it's really going to be a biography uh, of our culture today, uh, both our Christian culture and our, and our contemporary non-Christian culture, because it penetrates, it's going to penetrate deeply into the thought of what do we really value? What, what, what means the most to our lives? What, what takes precedent above all else? And to understand it, we really have to look at this young man and recognize some things about him. We, we already know if you grew up in church, this is the story that, uh, that we'd always like to uh, talk about, the story of the rich young ruler, okay? So they already know he's rich, we already know he's young, and he was a ruler, so he was a man of status. But in many ways, as I look at him, I, I, I wish I was him in many ways because he had a hunger for what Jesus was offering. He, he had a hunger for that eternal life that Jesus was teaching. Here he was, he's a man that obtained success in the world's eyes, right? I mean, he was somebody that when he'd walk in, people would know he's successful, but, but he was attracted to Jesus and his message of eternal abundant life filled with love, joy, and peace and forgiveness. And he came to this point where he could no longer be part of the crowd. You know, Jesus always had a crowd around him, didn't he? He always had people that thought he was pretty cool and wanted to, to get around him and like what he was saying, but yet few in the crowd actually pressed in and said, I want to follow you. I want to become one of your inner circles. I want to become one of your disciples. So, he, so in this moment, he runs to Jesus. He kneels before him and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that question is one that we struggle with today because we want to know what do we, what do, we do? Sometimes grace seems too easy for us. We don't know what to do because we want to somehow earn our salvation. But can I tell you, church, we can't earn our salvation. There is nothing we can do to deserve the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we agree with that this morning? There is no way of salvation except through faith by, and receiving the grace that God has given us through His Son, Jesus Christ. But we still struggle with that. What do I do? What, what, what must change in me for me to live this abundant life that Jesus talks about? He said, good teacher, what must I do? And like many people today, he assumed what unfortunately many people even in the church assume. And that is that our own human goodness is what draws us to God. That our own human goodness is what makes him love us. We're like some child seeking the attention of a parent. We're saying, if I do good, they'll love me. And if I'm bad, they may be not. But yet we serve a God that loves us in spite of us. Did you understand that today? 
He loves us always with an everlasting love, and he draws us to himself. But this man said, what good thing must I do? He recognized that Jesus was good, but yet he thought it was his right to inherit what Jesus was offering. You see, he wanted to know what additional acts of goodness. Think about it. He was kind of like, God, I know I'm good, (laughs) and I I am good. I look good in the mirror. I look good with I'm dressed. I've got everything going, and now I want to follow you. So so what other thing do you want me to do? Just let me show you how good I am. Jesus had a retort that kind of burst his bubble. Verse 18, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? For no one is good except God alone. He was saying to him, you can't be good enough. You can't attain eternal life based on your own merits. There's only one that is good, and guess what? It's not you. Jesus began that dialogue with this young man, and so he was going to try to show him what he needed. So Jesus mercifully began to lay out for him an opportunity to understand. Because what he did is he began to quote to him the, the, the second half of the Ten Commandments, things that this young man would be very familiar with. In verse 19, he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Isn't that where we go sometimes in comparison with others? And we'll say, well, I, don't, I haven't killed anybody. I, I, don't, I don't want my neighbor's house, wife, cars, dog, cat, anything else. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't lie. I don't steal. I don't wear false witness. I honor my mom and dad. Man, we are good. And the young man said, he said, I've kept all those from my youth. Now, Jesus knew where his heart was. It's that omniscient thing that trips us up, right? He knew where his heart was, and he was being kind to him because if he really wanted to nail down where the young man was, he would have led with the very first commandment, and that was that you have no other gods before me. (laughs) I can just picture Jesus when the man looked at him and said, hey, even as a teenager, man, I kept all of those. We're good. I can just see his eyes, that eyebrow cock up like, really? <laughs> Do you really think you've kept all these? There's, there's no one that perfectly can keep all these. So Jesus looked at him, verse 21, I love this, he said, and loved him. Look, guys, even, even when we struggle, even when we don't get it right all the time, even when we have a hard time really understanding what God wants of us sometimes, never doubt that he loves us. And even when his word may hit us in an abrupt way and it's kind of hard and it makes us kind of step back, it's out of his love that he does that because he wants us to experience all of him, all of his mercy, all of his grace, all of his power, all of his love, that abundant life that he died so that we would receive. So Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. Now, in essence, what Jesus was doing was this. He was challenging a young man to set himself free from what had become another God in his life. To set him free from something that had control over him, even though the young man may not have thought that was actually the case taking, taking place in his life. He wanted to set him free from himself and from the grip of his possessions and his belief in his own self-righteousness and his own self-goodness and become generous of spirit so that in his generosity he would learn truly the generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the only way the young man could be a follower of Christ, I don't want you to miss this, the only way that he could become a follower of Christ was to take up his cross, die to himself, and follow him. And that's no different for you and I today. 
The only way we experience the abundance of Christ's life, the only way we experience the abundance of the eternal life God has for us is to know what it means to die to self and to live unreservedly committed to our Lord and to our King. We will have no other gods before him, the the Ten Commandments say, yet it's the one we struggle with more than anything else because Jesus wants our heart. He died for our lives. He died to be the Lord of everything, not just compartmentalized. Say, well, I'll give you a Sunday. I'll give you my marriage because I want that blessed. I'll give you my kids because I don't know what to do with them. But God, I'm not, I'm not giving you my finances. That's personal. We don't talk about that. God, I'm not even giving you my political persuasion because that's kind of personal too. And we compartmentalize God and we say, well, God, I, I want to be all in but not all in. I want to be everything but not everything. I want you to be Lord of, well, not really all, but most of everything. And Unfortunately, God says, you'll have no other gods before me. You see, Jesus commanded this young man to do something that often is misread. He commanded him to do something that was extreme, and it's something that we struggle with even thinking that Jesus would say this. He said, here's what I want you to do. If you want to really follow me, he said, go and, and sell all, of, all your possessions. Go, go, go sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Now, most people read it as this way. They say, well, the Jesus said, go sell all your possessions and give everything away. But that's not what he said. He said, I want you to sell all your possessions, and I want you to give to the poor. I want you to become generous. I want you to become a conduit of my blessing. So that what I flow through you, I want you to flow to other people. I want you to experience the generosity of God when you learn to be generous to others. You see, Christ was challenging him because he wanted to set him free from the tyranny that possessions had over his soul. And like us today, church, listen, Every single one of us, if we are honest, deep in a gut level, we can struggle at times that our possessions have a way of possessing us. And guiding our lives and controlling our lives, instead of letting God flow through us, his grace and mercy and his generosity to others. So this young man had a, had a crisis of faith. The grip of possessions were greater than his desire to follow God. He trusted more in himself than he did in Jesus Christ. In verse 22, it says he was disheartened. By what Jesus said. And he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He had great possessions. This this is critical. I want you to see this, okay? Jesus loved him. Jesus challenged him. Jesus set something before him that says, I know your heart. Now, now, now go, go with me, guys. He didn't make this command of some other people, right? Now, we know that Peter and James and John and Andrew, they left their nets and they followed him. But Matthew left the, the tax collector table. We, we see that. But he didn't make this command of, of everybody. This was just right here to this young man. He knew his heart. He knew it was holding him back. And he put his finger right on it. And he loved him. And the, and the young man, instead of embracing what Christ was doing for him, sadly walked away. And though Jesus in his love was sad, and brokenhearted, because remember, he came that we'd all have abundant life, that we'd all receive of his grace. And, but instead, of, he, he was sad at this man's choice. But I want you to see this. Jesus did not run after him and offer the change the terms of his discipleship. I want you to see that. He, he didn't say, oh, it's okay. You know, I was just testing you, and, and really, don't worry about it. Hey, just come hang out with me and sing some nice songs and Hey, you know, every once in a while, be nice to somebody, and, and you know what? That's all you need. Listen, guys, the love of Christ is unqualified, and his offer of new life 
is unreserved for all of us. We enter in through his love. But to be his disciple and to experience all that God has for us, listen, he will not accommodate our secondary loyalties by changing his demands of absolute commitment in our life. He just won't do it. And we wonder why we see those believers that seem like they're just so overflowing with joy and God is just working through them and living in them. And and we think, well, they must be special. You know, God must love them more than he does us. No. He gives us all the same homework. Take up your cross daily. Follow him. Don't let things rule in your life. Let Christ rule. Don't let things take possession of your heart, but let God work in you. You see, he laid out this thought, and he, he, he laid it out this young man, and you get this picture where, where all this crowd is watching what's happening, his disciples are watching what's happening, and, and, and you can picture his disciples standing there going, well, how, how is anybody going to follow you? In fact, Jesus looked around, verse 23, and, and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, now don't get hung up on me, all right? Because here's here's again the challenge. Well, Mike, hey, he's talking to rich people. That's not us, all right? Come on, guys. Uh, We are rich. Can I get an amen? Every single one of us has been blessed by God. You didn't have to worry where your meal was coming from this morning. If you did, we had Nutri-Grain waiting on you. So you know what? We're rich. We're taken care of, all right? So don't, don't check out on me, and don't get hung up on the analogy. See, a lot of teachers have tried to take this verse and try to figure out different ways to make it more appealing or understandable. You know, listen, uh, I've heard teachers try to relate this as putting an anchor rope, a, you know, a big old rope that would hang an anchor off a ship through an eye of a needle because the Greek word for anchor and the Greek word for camel are very similar. I've heard people talk about this as a, being the eye of a needle referring to a small gate in Jerusalem that a camel had to kneel down and take off his load and, and crawl through to get in. Here's the deal about the analogy. It doesn't matter if it it was either one of those. It doesn't matter if he was like, there's a camel, here's an eye of a needle, they don't work, okay? The analogy is not what's important. What's important was the absolute impossibility of what Jesus was saying had to happen in order for someone who had great possessions to enter into the kingdom of God unless, unless they put their complete trust in Jesus Christ. He was saying to his disciples, listen, it's difficult for a person who trusts in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, some, some will take this passage and will try to deflect it and say, you know, in, in your life it has nothing to do with riches, okay? But just think about, is there anything that stands between you and God? Maybe it's an attitude or maybe it's a, a habit or a challenge. No, don't, don't, don't do that this morning. He's speaking about the things he has blessed us with. He is speaking about the things that we enjoy. He's speaking about the things that we use to have life and the things that, if we're not careful, become not only a possession but possess our very lives. You see, he was talking about the kingdom of God. And we always have to remember what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is not heaven someday, though we can look and say there is the kingdom of God. We're going to reign and rule with him. But his kingdom also has a present tense to us. And that is the absolute reign and rule of Christ in our lives on the earth right now. That he rules over our relationships, that he rules over our responsibilities, that he rules over everything in our life, including our possessions. 
And the beauty of the kingdom of God in our lives now is that's where our power comes from. Because when we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're saying is, Lord, all of your authority, all of your power, everything that makes you God, we want it to come now, Lord, in our circumstance, God. And we want you to reign, and we want you to rule, and we want your power to be evident right now, God, in our lives. That's what we want, God. But in this area of possessions, we struggle with, do we really want that or not? You see, we all want Christ's love and forgiveness. We all want his assurance of life beyond the grave. But we find trusting him in all of life much more demanding. And we have this lordship void that we, we kind of go in and out of. We know we need the Lord. We know we need him to reign in our lives. But if we're not careful, we'll fill that void with so much else. So much else. And before long, he's no better than the little idols I would find in, in different countries sitting up on people's shelves. As we pull this one off and we're fearful, we pour this one off and we're tired, we pull this one off and we're hungry. God is not some little idol. He is the Lord of the universe, amen? And he wants to be the Lord of our lives. You can't have it both ways. Verse 26 says, they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then, Lord, who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with a man it is impossible, but with God... But not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now, next week is like Super Bowl Sunday for the church. You understand that? It's Easter, right? It's the time we come and we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Because what we're going to celebrate next week is simply this, and that is through his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ would go through the eye of the needle for us and would pave a way for us to follow him. And in through that, he would offer us to claim him as Savior and Lord. And in place of security, that we would try to find in material things on this earth, we would find that he would give us the riches of his grace, and his riches would satisfy, and his riches would flow through us so that others may be blessed because of Christ in us. Paul wrote about this to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, remember he owned everything. Though he was rich, <laughs> he became poor. Yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty we might become rich. You see, he's offered us the riches of his grace. He's offered us everything. All we have to do is say, Lord, we want you to be Lord of all. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what happened to this young man. Don't you wish that Paul Harvey had a place in the Bible, you know? Tell us the rest of the story. Boy, I dated myself on that one. But you know what I'm saying? You know, just tell us what happened. We don't know where he is. People speculate. I was reading one. That, you know, this young man, did you know he's Barnabas in the book of Acts? That's what one guy said. I'm like, really? How'd you figure that one out? Yeah, I, I don't see that. But at the same time, it could be. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. All we know is this young man was presented with the truth he had to respond to, and he wasn't able in the same way, we are presented truths quite often that God wants to get inside of us and, and help us to struggle through them to find real life. You say, Mike, come on. You said it from the beginning. This doesn't apply to us. Come on. We're doing well just to get by. Here, here's how I've learned over the years to determine whether I'm putting more confidence in myself or my possessions or anything else around me or if I'm really putting them in, 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 in God. And the way I test it is simply this. If I pray differently when things are getting tight and desperate than I do when things are going well, I've got a lordship issue in my life. Think about that. Isn't that true? 
man, money gets tight, bills are coming, you don't know where they're going to get paid, all of a sudden there's a medical emergency, and you got, you got bills coming out, and man, you're on the floor like, come on, God, come through for me, you are the owner of everything, we serve you, God, you're righteous, you're Jehovah Jireh, the provider, man, we're just laying it out, and then things are going good, we're like, oh, it's Sunday, I don't know, man, it's pretty outside, and I, you know, the, the links are calling, it's, I, I don't know, we just, we're not, thank you, God, you're so good to us, amen. I'm telling you guys, it's easy to see where our trust lies. It's easy to see where we've come and whether we're possessing the riches of God or whether our possessions are possessing us. So here's, here's four things. We're going to wrap it up. Four things I want you to take away this morning, and, and we're going to respond to God in them in just a moment, all right? And the first thing is simply this. It's the ahas that come when you read the Word of God because you don't read it towards somebody else. You read it for you, okay? So as we read this, the first thing we have to see is that we must take Jesus seriously. I know that sounds silly, but we must take Jesus seriously. He's, he's not still a little baby in a manger, all right? He is the living God, reigning and ruling in heaven right now, making intercession for you and I, and looking over at Father God saying, is it time for me to go back and get my bride? I'm ready. Come on. He's God. He's Lord of all. He's everything. We must take him seriously. We must ask ourselves that my possessions or desire for more cause me to put him second in my life, or do I have his absolute reign and rule in every part of me? That's where we've got to start. Do I take him seriously? Or do I treat him as much as the world does? He was a good man. He said some good things. Yeah, he's, he's a moral guide. No, he's not. Because remember, Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a moral guide for you to be better or good so that somehow God accepts you. No, Christianity is based on a single fact, and that is the king of the universe sent his son to die for us. And he rose from the grave from us, and he asks us to follow him. But if we follow him, he's got, we've got to be all in and not make him a secondary God. So the first thing we have to ask, we have to take Jesus seriously. The second thing is we must measure our, our willingness. We must measure our willingness. Church, we will never be free until we know that if he asks of us everything, we'd be willing to give him everything. We must, we must know our willingness. Say, well, Mike, how do you, how do you know that? How, how do you deal with that? Church, I, you don't know that unless you choose to follow him. If you choose every day to say, you are the Lord of my life, guide my steps today, Lord. God, open my life up to others. Let me be used for your glory, God, and, and for others to come to know you. Because when you open your life up that way and you consider him as Lord of all, then church, there are times when he comes and says to us, hey, I, I, I need you to be willing to release this gift. I, I need you to be willing to go and speak to this person. I, I need you to, you see the couple over there, I, I need you to be generous to them this week. We have to know our willingness. I, I, I tell you, I, I knew this was coming in my teaching plan, and I, I knew the story was getting close, and I'll tell you, inside of me, I was clenching, because I'm like, God, I don't like this story. I really don't. It, it, gets, it gets to the core of, of some things that, that I know in me are, 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 are something I have to really battle sometimes, because I, I had one goal when I was coming out of college, like a lot of you guys. My goal was to make money, all right? I want to be the guy that was the benefactor of the church, not the pastor of the church. You know, I thought that'd be the cooler position, right? And, and, I, and I struggle with that sometimes of, of I'm, I'm looking for something more to, to be my, my comfort than him. And I'll tell you something, God loves us enough that he challenges where we are. And when he challenges where we are, that's when we find out whether we are willing. 
But here's the cool thing about this. This is the third, third aha. We've got to understand something. That it's only the Spirit of the Lord that can make us willing to be willing. <laughs> Think about that for a second. It's like, wait a minute, Mike, you just told me we had to be willing to do whatever he asked. And I'm, yeah, you do. But it's not in your own strength. It's not in your own power. It's not in your own ability. Because at the end of the day, we're selfish. At the end of the day, our humanity says, I'm not doing that. But the Spirit of the living God who comes to dwell in us when we accept Jesus as our Savior has the wonderful ability to make us willing to be willing. When we recognize that everything we have is an act of His grace, the disciples understood what we often miss, that with man this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible because no one can follow Him. No one, no, no rich, no poor, educated, uneducated, young or old, unless he or she are, are drawn to the Lord by the work of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to realize that everything involved in following Christ is a gift of His grace to us. It's a gift of grace to realize we need Him. It's a gift of grace for us to, to believe and, and, and receive salvation. It's a gift of His grace that we have faith at all, that we grow in His kingdom, that we have power to live a faithful life. It's all a gift of God's grace that we don't earn, and that we don't deserve, but yet he pours it out on us lavishly. So like this rich young man, what God calls us to is this humility. That wakes up every day and says, Lord, thank you. I got another day. Praise your name. God, thank you. That Lord, as we pull out the Cheerios or whatever else may be, God, we're, we're well fed. God, thank you that, God, the house we live in, the car we drive, anything we own, and God, that, that Lord, they're, they're all gifts of you, Father. We don't possess them. And, Lord, if you ask, God, we're willing to let, let, it, let it go. God, whatever it means so that you are honored, and, God, for others to come to know you. And that's the last point today, and we're going to close in prayer. And that is only when we put the Lord first are we ready to enter the adventure of seeking his will and using all that we have and all that we are for his glory. It's only when we go all in, guys, that we experience the flow of God's grace through us toward others. It's only when we put our complete trust in Him that we finally understand what God wants to do in our lives. And I know this morning what I'm about to say for some of you, it, it, it might be a struggle, but church, it begins. It begins right here. And the Bible says where our treasure is, that's where our heart is also. I saw a flyer that went out the other day to market a church. And I, church marketing is hard for me. <laughs> Just is. But it basically said, hey, we're not going to talk about your money when you come here. We're going to talk about your money, though. And the only reason we are because Jesus talked about it a whole lot more than we ever will. Because here's the deal. He says, if you can't even trust me as 10%, how do you trust me when you're in trouble? How, how, do, you, how do you trust me when, when things are overwhelming and it seems impossible? You see, we, we have a mistake when it comes to giving and possessing. We think that God, God says, hey, 10% of what you have is mine. The rest of it, good luck, have fun. But he owns everything. But he calls us to release from him our tithes, our generosity of others. As the commitment to say, Lord, we don't want him to possess us. But God, we always want you to be able 
to flow through us more. Because God, to whom much is given, God, much is required. And God, when you, when you bless us and we let it flow, God, then Lord, you bless us with more to let it flow. It's not about getting rich, but it's about letting the riches of God's grace flow through us so that others may know him. Church, here's, here's where we come with this. When we, when we understand the call to follow, when we understand that it's absolutely impossible unless the work of the Holy Spirit is flowing in us, we've received Christ, we've, we've taken that gift. When we understand that and we humbly come before Him, then we recognize something, that our, our lives are secure in Him and eternity is something that we look forward to, but it's happening in us now, that eternal abundant life. And we're so secure that now we become this treasure chest that God says, I want to pour good things in so that you'll release them to bless others. And others will come to know me because of your grace and your generosity. What a privilege that is. What a privilege that is. He said, come and follow me. But understand, you follow me on my terms, not on yours. Why don't we stand together today? We're going to celebrate in a way of honoring God by responding to His Word. At Hope, we believe that every time the Word of God is spoken, whether you hear it on a podcast, read it in a book, hear it in a sermon, we must respond to it. Because the Word of God is not just a good idea, it's His Word to us. And we believe all through the service, the Holy Spirit has been working in each one of us, and He's taking this Word, and He's breaking it down and making it very real to our circumstance, because my circumstance is not your circumstance. We're all different. But every week at Hope, we, we ask you to respond to two questions. And our response is, and that, that is this. What is it that God is saying to you right now? What is it? And what, and what are you going to do about it? That's, that's the response. Because here's how we're going to respond today. We're going to pray together. I've asked the band to lead us in a song that just speaks to this and, and helps us just kind of let it reflect in our lives. And we're going to invite you to to respond. And, and for some, it may be today that, that you might want to step out during that song and go to the cross, because maybe there is something that has possessed you, something that has taken over the lordship void of your life, and you just got to make it right, okay? And I encourage you, don't, don't walk out and I'll do that later. No. Now. You can go to the cross. You can write something to it there. We're going to invite you after a while to come and celebrate communion. The Bible says when we come to communion, when we come and celebrate the body and the blood of Christ, His sacrifice for us, the Word says let every man examine himself before he comes. Not to condemn us, but to liberate us. To say, God, if there's anything that the Lord has taken the place of you in my life, God, I want to lay that down now. Because when I come and partake of the bread and take of the juice, the body and the blood of Christ, I want to celebrate God. God, that you did everything for me. God, I want to make you Lord of my life. And then maybe today you come and you say, Michael, really what I need is someone to pray with me. At the end of the service, we'll have people available to you, elders and folks who are just ready to pray with you if you desire prayer. But right now, bow your head. Let's just ask God to help us. Let that word sink in us. Let this word, this song sink in us. And let's pray and respond to the Lord on this, on this beautiful day he's given us. Father, help us. God, help us, Lord, today to let your word, God, just resonate in our spirit right now. And God, help us to see, God, ourselves in this story. God, I pray that as we do this morning, God, Lord, our, our, our minds, our hearts will be open. God, will not be closed to you. 
God, let, let your spirit make things real to us, God, that you're wanting to take place. God, because, Lord, you love us. And, God, you want to set us free. And God, you want us to experience the abundant life, oh, God. God, that comes and we become your treasure chest, God. God, that where your gifts flow through us. And God, they become blessings to others. So, God, help us to respond to the